This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. March 16th. 1985, Terry Anderson wrapped up a tennis match in Beirut, Lebanon. Walking just outside the tennis compound, approaching his car, he was surrounded by armed men in mass. He was abducted and shoved into the trunk of a green Mercedes-Benz. And he was driven off into captivity. Anderson was abducted by Hezbollah, a group of militant Muslims that reigned terror over Lebanon for years. They were essentially Lebanon's version of Al-Qaeda. And there for six years and nine months, Anderson was held captive. He was moved from place to place, forced to conduct video interviews where he would share a falsified information just to try to stay alive. And then the last remaining hostage, because there were other ones who were taken as well, Anderson was released on December the 4th, 1991. Six years, nine months later. He wrote a book to detail his account of captivity, being a hostage for well over six years. And in that, his book called Den of Lions, he wrote this, God used captivity to bring me to greater faith in Christ. I drank too much, but no alcohol here. I chased women, but no women here. I'm arrogant. What's better than to put me in the hands of these arrogant, uncaring young men? I've been careless of others' feelings. These people gave not one tiny thought of mine. I'd been agnostic most of my life, but the only comforts here are the Bible and my prayers. You see, it was in a season that was so uncomfortable that maybe perhaps the greatest strides forward in his life were ever taken. I mean, I think it's so counterintuitive to think that the the greatest moments of our life might be the most uncomfortable ones that we share. If you peruse social media like I do, I'm sure that you've seen Photos that were tagged with maybe the most popular caption of the past year. Just living my best life. Y'all seen that? You know, you're like eating at a nice restaurant. There's a, a pretty meal that's laid down right in front of you. What, what do you tag that picture? Living my best life, right? My kids are actually not, they don't have jelly all over their face today. They're behaving. Everybody get a picture, throw that up on social media. What? Living my best life. Meet a celebrity. Let's get a picture. I want to share that. Living my best life. And if you're at the beach, 
Extra points if you can have a cocktail that slid just almost out of the picture. There's a picture of the beach just living my best life. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we've been, become quite obsessed with trying to convince people that we are indeed living our best life. So much so that there's an industry that's starting to emerge that will help you even look better than you already do on social media. If you can't afford to take your kids to Disney or you don't have time, you can fake a vacation. Literally, this is the website you go to, fakeavacation.com. And they take your picture and they put it into your Disney trip or your trip to Vegas or whatever you want to do with your family. When you post it and you say what? Living my best life. Why? I believe that we've become obsessed with trying to live our best life. But so much of the ideas that we share about what a best life looks like are so contradictory to the life that Jesus teaches us about in Scripture. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Look at this with me. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. This is a verse that when we read it, most of us, it stings a little bit. I want to read it again. I want you to think about what it's saying. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Now, I think it's important to talk about what does this mean to, to love the world? It certainly doesn't mean that there aren't things in the world that we wouldn't love. I mean, we, we should love people. There are only three things in this world that are eternal. God, his word, and people will all live forever. And if we don't love people, we're never going to reflect the love that God has for us because we are called to love people. That also means loving people that are not easy to love. Maybe even your enemies. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy the things that, that God blesses us with in life. In, in Timothy, as, as Paul writes to the young minister, he tells us that, that everything that we've been blessed, God has blessed us with all of this for our enjoyment. That we, we get to enjoy the blessings of God. Certainly we have to manage them. Certainly we have to be found to be good stewards and faithful with, with what he's given us. But we do get to enjoy the blessings of God. And it doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't care for creation. This isn't a planet that we're just to use up and then one day discard. In this phrase, when it says, do not love this world or the things that it offers you, the, a better translation of the phrase that's used in the original language is that this world literally means the culture of this world. Don't fall in love with the culture. Now, we use that phrase, and sometimes that phrase kind of betrays us, and we don't understand what culture is speaking. Because we'll say, I'm going to a cultural event. I'm going to a concert or to a symphony. I'm going to an art show. Okay, these are all expressions of culture, but simply culture is how we live. 
It's, it's the, the guideposts that help us decide every day, how are we navigating this world? And here's what you, we've just got to come face to face with this truth, that the culture of this world and the culture of the gospel are opposed to each other. They are. And in many ways, as we try to live our best life, what we're really pursuing is comfort. What we're really going after is comfort. But comfort, it kind of is a paradox for us. Oftentimes, we don't, we don't take time to examine that. See, I think the first thing in your notes that we need to just kind of get on the table and examine is that we often practically live with our greatest desire to be comfortable. Now, I'm sure that most of us wouldn't say priorities. I want to be comfortable. We wouldn't say that. But the truth is, is that we would say, you know what, I need a little bit bigger car. I need a nicer sofa. We need a little bit bigger house. I'd like to make a little bit more money. If I could save a few more hundred dollars, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. See, when we use the phrase, my best life, far too often what we're talking about is a life of ease, not a life of struggle. And we practically over and over again as we navigate life, we we pursue comfort. But comfort does something in us. Number two in your notes, comfort makes us lazy. (laughs) Comfort makes us lazy. I don't know. Anybody go backpacking or camping when they were kids? I did. I'd love to go out with my friends, and we'd go backpacking. And inevitably, whenever I put my tent up and actually got in and put my sleeping bag down, when I laid down to go to bed that night, there was going to be a rock or a root underneath my sleeping bag. Every time. I don't know if that happens to anybody else. Every time it happened to me. And what would happen? In the morning, I I mean, I'd just get up and get out and make the fire. Why? Because I got some sleep, but it wasn't so comfortable that I wanted to linger there. Now, this is totally different than my experience most mornings with my bed. Where those 400 thread count cotton sheets are enveloping me. I've got the fans blowing on me that morning. My heavy comforter lingering around me. My pillows that are tailored to my desires. I don't want to get out of that bed. As a matter of fact, how many of y'all hit the snooze like 18 times this morning? Okay, yes, I'm with you. You are my people, okay? That's a, that is exactly why, because it's comfortable. It's comfortable, and it makes comfort makes us lazy. And this is the paradox of our lives. See, I think number three in our, in our notes today is that our most important moments are often uncomfortable. I think when we look back over our lives, we're going to look back and go, that was not very easy. But boy, did God do something in me through that. Man, that was challenging. But I heard God in a way that I've never heard God during that season. See, I think sometimes we we don't realize that it, it, it might possibly be in the moments that are the most uncomfortable that God has the most to offer. 
And maybe it's those moments, those seasons, that you have no idea what lies within you that God is trying to give birth to. To quote the great Bob Marley, (laughs) you never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. Some of y'all have been there. You got that diagnosis. You couldn't change the diagnosis, and you had to be strong. You walked through a season of difficulty with your parents. Some of you have walked through some financial hardships, and you never knew that you could be that disciplined. You never knew that you could be that strong, but that was the only choice you had. And it was in those uncomfortable seasons that God began to birth something inside of you. You see, greatness cannot be born out of comfort. It can't be. Apple, born in a garage. Some of the greatest, most prevalent companies that are out there now were born in really uncomfortable circumstances. Amazon, born in a garage. Me, born in a garage. Just kidding. (laughs) See, greatness can't be born out of comfort. Some of you are praying about this next year. And you're thinking through, hey, what, what am I going to do to get to get better? Think about this. Greatness can't be born in comfort. You, you want to get in shape? You're going to have to be, be sore for a season. You, you're going to have to, you want to lose some weight? You're going to have to be hungry. Okay? It's the truth, all right? right? It's the reason that we get into the circumstances. I've, I haven't been hungry for a few years. Okay? You want to win with money? Do you want to win with money? You're going to have to get comfortable doing without. And do you want to grow spiritually? Do you you want to grow spiritually? Are you you on the verge of feeling God calling you into a new season of growth with him? Here's, Here's the simple truth. You need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. There's no way to grow spiritually being comfortable. See, greatness cannot be born out of comfort because it's when we're uncomfortable that we're compelled into greatness. It's when we're uncomfortable. When we go through those seasons that that life just feels like, this is, I have no idea what's going on. Those places in your life where you just feel so insecure right now. As a matter of fact, I, I would say, as we get ready to go into Christmas, that Christmas and the story of Christmas, the narrative of Christmas that we find in the scriptures is really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. And so for the next three weeks, the next three Sundays, we're going to dive into the discomfort that we find in the Christmas story. Uh, Think about it. Let's go through the elements of story. We're going to examine these three each of the three weeks. Think about this with me. The setting for the Christmas story is uncomfortable. The the setting is Jerusalem. It's born in a time where there is a a tyrant for a king. He's power hungry to the point that he's killed his own children to protect his crown. And the Roman government has issued a decree for all to be involved in the census, which is going to require people to travel all across the country to their hometown. The setting is... The the characters are uncomfortable. Mary. Most scholars believe that Mary was very young. 
very young, somewhere around 16 years old. Listen, I don't trust a 16-year-old girl to drive a car, all right? Much less carry the Savior of the world. But that's who God picked. And she's the one who said yes. And again, most scholars, because if you pay attention, Joseph appears in the very beginning, but you don't see him again in the story at all. Most scholars believe that Joseph was a little older. And he, had, he was a good man, and he had waited a long time to get married, and he had picked her out, and she was to be his bride. But there's a tension that comes in because the plot of the Christmas story is uncomfortable. The plot is uncomfortable. There's a conception before marriage. Mary was so young that her purity would have been assumed. And yet there she is with child. He, after divine intervention, receives her as his wife. But then, listen, they have to travel in her last segment of of pregnancy to the point she gives birth away from her hometown. Listen, today, if you're pregnant and you go on an overnight trip in that last couple weeks, we call you stupid, okay? But there she is in the first century traveling miles away from home. The story of Christmas is uncomfortable, but it's through that uncomfortable Christmas that this movement of redemption was born. And here we are, literally centuries later, standing in the fruit of that season of uncomfort. Right? What a a powerful thing. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about what happens when we pursue comfort. When we pursue, when we start to chase after comfort. Because there are things that are happening in our hearts, things that are happening in our lives. When this becomes the greatest ideal that we're pursuing, when this becomes where our resources and our time are being poured out and into, there's some things that happen that are very negative in our souls. See, the first thing that happens is that pursuing comfort reveals spiritual emptiness. It reveals a spiritual emptiness. See, far too often, we start to look for purpose and meaning and fulfillment in things that can never offer that for us. It's really as if we, we start to look towards a, a very finite, temporary thing to fill an immense gap in our lives. C.S. Lewis put it this way. The inside the heart of every man is a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. So think about that as we look at 1 John 2.15 again. Do not love this world. Don't fall in love with the way that this world lives, nor the things that that are offered as a reward for living that way. For when you love the world, you do not have the Father in you. And how many many times are are we looking for, for satisfaction in something that won't satisfy us. As a matter of fact, think about that with me for a moment. What satisfies you? When in your life do, do you feel the most satisfied? When? 
Maybe it's after you know, you've played with your kids all day. Maybe it's you had a great date with your spouse. Maybe it's you got to spend some quality time with mom and dad. Maybe it's you've saved another couple hundred dollars and put some more money into that savings account, and you're starting to feel a little bit more comfortable. What satisfies you? What satisfies you? I can answer that question for most of us. It's more. It's more love, more attention, more affections, more relationships, more money, more prestige, more power, more acclaim, more. It's more. Instead of trying to fill a void that nothing can fill except God with God himself. John Piper put it this way. That God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And see, the thing is, is that when we start to chase after comfortable, it shows that there's this deficit, this spiritual deficit in our lives. And then number two in your notes, it eliminates our need for faith. A comfortable life has no room for faith. And it's impossible to be a Christ follower and not live with faith. That doesn't mean that our faith is perfect. As a matter of fact, it's remarkably flawed and imperfect. But we have to embrace that life for us is about faith. It's about faith. And faith is defined at the very beginning of Hebrews chapter 11 chapter 11 by, by this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. To be living by faith means that there are things that we long for in our life that we do not see. That we don't see. See, when we get to a comfortable posture in life, everything we need, we can see. Do I need money? I have it. Do I need a, a, a rest? Well, I have a good bed. I have medication that will make me fall asleep. We get to a comfortable place and literally everything becomes convenient and controllable. See, comfort always means control. Comfortable always means control. The most comfortable that we are is when everything in our lives is in control. That's why our bed is so comfortable. Because it's every factor, every variable, we have some control over. I pick the sheets out. I pick the mattress out. I pick the decor in the room. I put the fans in there. I created this environment. I'm in control of it. But it's impossible to live by faith and be in control at the same time. See, some of you have an internal tension in the areas of your life where you don't have some perceived control in your life. You, you, you have a hard time recognizing the authority that exists outside of your own wisdom. And it provokes within you a constant source of tension. But we need to be reminded that we need to live by faith, not by control. 
We need to have portions of our life that we believe for. We know God's called us into this area. We know God's doing this in us, and we, we have no idea how it's going to happen. I don't know. God, I don't know how you're going to save my kids. God, I don't know how you're going to heal my friend. We don't know. And in some sense, faith is embracing a helplessness in a longing that we could never fulfill our own. So what part of your life are you helpless without God intervening? In what what part of your life are, are you helpless without God intervening? Is it a relationship right now? Is it something that you're, you're, you're longing for, for healing in your heart? The, the place where you feel that tension, this is out of my control and I need God to show up, that is a holy place in your life. It's holy. And I promise you that that place is a place that God is trying to use to move and shape you. Faith is important. Hebrews 11.6 puts it this way, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. In other words, a life that pursues not needing faith is a life that is rejecting God. See, I think that we need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And it's my prayer during this Christmas series that God makes us uncomfortable that God causes us to embrace a certain level of discomfort in our own lives, realizing that it's that discomfort that's going to compel us into greatness. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to just give you three things to think about when it comes to becoming comfortable being uncomfortable. Number one, we need to learn to embrace the authentic over the fake. Embrace the authentic over the fake. See, the problem with this best life scenario that we're, we're populating is that what we do is we share with the world our highlights. And there are people that sit in the crowd and look at their friends' lives, and all of a sudden, through comparison, they start to think, I don't have that. I don't have that relationship with my spouse. I don't have those kind of kids. Because we compare somebody else's highlight reel to our behind-the-scenes. But God never created you to live in comparison. See, life isn't just mountaintops and rainbows and unicorns. The truth is, is that there are valleys. There's a lot more time spent below the mountaintop than there is on top of it. Psalm 23, one of our our favorite verses says, You know what? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid of evil. Why does it say that? It says that because we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We're going to go through some hard seasons. We're going to go through some difficult times. We're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to experience pain. It's going to have, some of you, this Christmas is going to be painful. It's going to be the first Christmas after losing somebody. Maybe there's a a trauma that's happened in your life over the past year. Maybe somebody's not coming home this year. It's going to be difficult. 
But here's what I want you to see, 2 Corinthians 1.5. Just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So what? Somebody said ne- something, something negative about you? Well, they, they did that to Jesus too. Somebody, somebody turned their back on you when you needed them the most? That's how Jesus' friends treated him. Maybe there are people who have said things about you that weren't true. Well, that's exactly how they treated Jesus. As a matter of fact, we share in the sufferings of Jesus. But because we share in the sufferings as his children, we also share in his comfort. Not this world's comfort, but in his comfort. So we need to embrace the authentic over the fake. Realize that there's going to be some difficult seasons, but God's got you through those. Number two, embrace divine discomfort over temporary comfort. Embrace divine discomfort over temporary comfort. See, I think sometimes we, we don't understand a little bit of the context of Scripture. There's a book in the New Testament. It's called James. James is written by the brother of Jesus, Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I love my sister. She's awesome. But I will never tell you that my sister is the savior of the world. (laughs) I don't know anybody in here that would describe their sibling that way, right? Why? Because we see all the stuff that happens behind the scenes. We see when they're moody and hangry and all that kind of stuff that's just hard to be around. We know. But James opens his letter by describing Jesus as the savior of the world. A letter about his brother. And then he goes on to talk about trials. James 1, beginning in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So a lot of the times we read this verse and we think about test, like with the kind of test that we took in math class. Do you all remember taking math tests? I hated math. I was not very good at math. Anybody good at math? I don't like you, okay? So, just kidding, just kidding. We need you, and we, we would all spend the rest of our money if we didn't have you in our lives. Thank you. Very thankful for the people who are good at math. But, but a lot of times we think, when, when the Bible talks about tests, we think about tests the way that we think about math tests. I'm, I'm going to pass it, or I'm going to fail it. That's not the kind of test that it's implying. Actually, in its original language, what it's evoking, is evoking the image of a test that would have been used on precious metals in a silversmith shop. See, the silver would have been bought from someone who mined it. And the silver would have then been brought into there. And before it's, it's kind of poured and melted and turned into whatever it was going to be turned into, it would be tested. And the way that they would test it is they would heat it up. They would heat it up. And as they, they heated this metal up, the impurities would rise to the top and they would remove those and they would remove those. See, what's happening right now, some of you need to realize that the, the tests that you've been going through are God heating up your life so that the impurities can be taken off. See, some of you don't realize that that stuff that you've started to see kind of come up in your heart, you have no idea where that came from. It's just not just coming up. God's bringing it up to get it out. 
See, some of you may be in here and you might have a loved one or a child that's lost. And you've seen them wandering away from faith and and it's broken you and it's made you, you just feel so helpless. Some of you, might feel a little paralyzed by a a diagnosis that you received or that a loved one received. Maybe there were words that were shared like terminal or cancer. Maybe you're here or you're watching online and you're in a marriage and you feel alone. You feel lonely and lost. Maybe you're here and you're listening to this, and your life has been wrecked by an addiction. And maybe only a few people know that, but you're living with a deep despair that's been born out of the trauma that came from substance abuse. If that's you, I want you to listen to me and what I'm about to say. You see, that obstacle that you feel that's in front of you is actually an opportunity for God to increase your faith. The setback that you feel you've been going through very well might actually be a setup from God. The mess that you feel like you've made of your life is in fact a message that God wants to preach through your life. The test that you're going through right now is developing within you a testimony. The misery that you feel in the middle this season is what God intends to make a message in out of you. See, your pain is always going to point you to a better way when we invite God into it. See, I believe when we get to the end of our story and we look back, we're going to realize that God was in the middle of all of our pain in the worst seasons that we ever walked through, the most difficult and challenging and uncomfortable moments that we ever endured. We're going to look back and realize that God was standing with us and the greatest lessons we learned are going to come from those times when we needed him and he showed up. And we're going to say, you know what? I remember when I was lost and he showed up and spoke to me. I remember when I had no other way, but he became my way. I remember when I had no idea what to do next, but there he was leading me on. You see, I believe if we're going to get comfortable being uncomfortable, number three, we've got to embrace that this isn't your best life. This isn't your best life. You are not currently right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not living your best life right now. And it is an eternal perspective that shifts the way that we think about what we're going through and enduring today. And it should radically realter the way that we perceive what is going on in our hearts and in our lives. Romans 8.18 says it this way, that I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. 
Sure, we're going through some difficult things right now, but there is a glory that awaits you that far outweighs what you're going through right now. Your best life is not an incarnation of your life right now. It is not the most comfortable, easy way that you can navigate this world right now. As a matter of fact, Peter urges us in his epistles to live as if this world is not our home. To live as aliens in this world. I have a friend, I've shared this with you, who looked over his congregation in a very affluent portion of Orange County. And one Sunday morning he said, I don't think there are many of us in this room who want to go to heaven. I don't believe we want to leave the lives that we've built here behind. Your best life will never be here. And when you try to create that life here, it is only going to leave you with emptiness. See, trying to fulfill an eternal longing with a temporary comfort will always lead to an empty life. Because there's a God-shaped hole inside of you that only he can fulfill. No amount of money, no relationship, no amount of love, affection, and attention will ever fill that. Only he can. And if you try to fill it with everything else, you'll still be left wanting and empty. See, I believe this Christmas that God wants us to get uncomfortable. The greatest movement in the history of the world was born out of discomfort. And far too many of us in here are living a life that is pursuing comfort. And I believe that we've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Because this Christmas, I believe God can do some remarkable things through us when we embrace uncomfortable moments as moments where he is close to us as holy ground thanks for listening this podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle North Carolina for more information on our church we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com